Welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, heir of Dean with me, and Patrick Stedman here to break down some more Avs hockey for you. There's a lot going on. It's been a while since our last podcast, but the Avalanche continue to win. The Avalanche continue to impress, and they're, they're doing it in very, I guess, late-style fashion, right? They're coming from behind some games. They're winning in overtime, Arif. But what I want to start today's conversation with is... Looking back at the season so far and kind of you break it down month by month, it seems like each month there's a different facet of the team that seems to be carrying a lot of the weight, right? For a while it was the power play. For a while it was the depth. For a while it was the stars of the team. For a while it's the defense. Actually, the defense has been producing all year long. Let's be real there. But right now it really feels like the goaltending is the ones getting them through this final stretch of the season. I mean, we've seen some lower scoring games from the Avalanche, right? We're not used to seeing them score this low. We're seeing some new players come in and try to acclimate. And in that time, you've seen Darcy Kemper, mostly Darcy Kemper, more so than Pavel Francouz, really backstop this team and allow the team in front of them to play confidently. Did you happen to catch the tweet that I sent out this morning? No. All right. So what I said was... On today's agenda for the podcast, J- oh, that one, yeah, yeah. JJ Jerez is going to do the intro, and then Arif is going to talk That's about me. Darcy Kemper for 55 minutes. So thanks for your intro. Go ahead and turn off your mic. All right. I'll, I'll sit back. I'll see you on- Got I'll, my water in hand. I'll see you at Family Sports tomorrow. Let's hear it. Let's go ahead and talk. No. Okay. So the goaltending has been carrying the team, but it also kind of hasn't been the goaltending. It's been the goaltender. Like, no disrespect to Pavel Francouz. He's still winning his games. He's still got, I think, a 917 or 918 save percentage at this point. But Darcy Kemper has been locked in. And I know against Pittsburgh, there was a couple of late goals in that second game. But think of the game against Edmonton. Think of that first game against Pittsburgh. Think of just this culmination of a guy who since December has been a 930, uh, a 934, and since January has been like a 943, a goaltender who's third in the NHL in safe percentage. And that's always my favorite stat because goals against average is obviously more of a team stat. Safe percentage itself is, is pretty much a team stat, but he's also got good high danger, high danger save percentages as well. But Darcy Kemper is third in the NHL behind... Ilya Sorokin and Igor Shosturkin. He is number three. He is on fire, and that's in safe percentage. He's got one of the higher wins in the NHL. He's been on a tear since his injury in December. And as we saw in that game against the Edmonton Oilers, the biggest thing that I'm noticing now is he's locked in. He's got confidence. He no longer feels uncomfortable. He no longer feels like he's scrambling. He's got a little swagger to him. He's making saves and juggling the puck up and down. He won that game in the shootout. Did you see what he did with the stick? He kind of like reloaded it like he was, you know, just jacked. Like he's he's got this confidence and swagger to him that I haven't seen all season. And he's been as consistent or more consistent than any goalie in the NHL. And if you for any reason still had any little bit of an ounce of a shadow of a doubt that the Avalanche weren't going to have the goaltending that they need this season, go ahead and wash that away. 49 saves against the Edmonton Oilers. The only thing that could stop Darcy Kemper at this point is an injury. 
Nothing else can. He's locked and loaded and ready to go for the Stanley Cup playoffs, which are never going to get here because this damn season won't end. <laughs> it wasn't 55 minutes, but I give you about two and a half minutes of contact. Content, content I should say. <laughs> What's your rebuttal? No, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm 100% with that. I mean, I think there were definitely a lot of reasons to have doubt as the season progressed, but you're spot on. What we're seeing right now is a different Darcy Kemper, and we've seen the trajectory of him just go in one direction, mm -hmm. right? We haven't really seen him take any steps backwards at all this season. The injuries he did have were minor, maybe kept him out a game or so. Really nothing to be really worried about. And the, I think swagger was the perfect word to use with him right now. And just confidence and solid. He looks solid. He's not looking floppy. He's not making mistakes. He's controlling rebounds. He's watching the puck throughout. I mean, that Edmonton game is definitely the pinnacle of what we've seen from Darcy Kemper so far and what's the old hockey saying you got to ride the hot goalie right well with only a small handful of games left in the season your goalie is getting hot and you couldn't ask for it at a better time so I love what I'm seeing out of Darcy Kemper I love the way he's adapted to this team changed his style a little bit right he's had to calm down I think I, I've mentioned it a few times throughout this season that I think Jared Bednar had something to do with it, kind of sitting him down and helping him maybe just get out of his head a little bit, calm down, relax in that net. And he looks a lot less jumpy. He looks calm, solid, and swagged out. It looks like he went through a phase of like just being focused on changing his game. And now that he's comfortable and confident in that new game, now he's bringing out that personality, that swagger, that, you know, I heard Hockey Mountain High talking about how cool Marc-Andre Fleury is. I want to be cool, too, and I'm going to show him that I can be so they can talk about me for an hour on an episode. So we got you, Darcy. Like, we're doing it. We're going to reward you for what you've been doing lately. And he's he's just so locked in. Like, there's no better way to explain it. Like, when you look at his season numbers as a whole, like you said, first of all, it's been trending in one direction. There's been nothing. There's he has shown no signs of taking any kinds of step back, to having any kinds of you know setbacks. Like yeah, there was a game here and there. Like against New Jersey, they went up three nothing. They lost five three against Pittsburgh the other day. What did they have a five two lead and then Pittsburgh ended up scoring two goals late. Like whoop de do. But as a whole, his season, like just looking at the numbers. The most wins in the NHL are 35 for Vasilevsky and Soros. Well, Kemper's got 34. Well, the difference is Vasilevsky's played 56 games. Soros has played 60. Kemper has played 50, 10 games less than them. And if you remember sometime in mid to late January, how we were talking about how the Avalanche had yet to be shut out, nor have they had a shutout all season, that was less than three months ago. They've had eight since then, and six of them are Kemper's. So he's literally averaging three shutouts per calendar month over these last three months while putting up these insane phenomenal numbers. He's second in the NHL in shutouts now. He's third in save percentage. He's just like he's flying high, man, and he's facing way more high danger opportunities, way more shots in general than Philip Grubauer did a year ago. And obviously, he's facing tougher competition because it's not the same West Division or Pacific Division teams that the Avalanche were facing last year. So it's just everything about his game says to me that when you look at where the Avalanche were a year ago, when you look at what they had in the playoffs a year ago, which was a good goalie that swept the St. Louis Blues and, you know, battled Vegas until he kind of broke down in games five and six. You have a goalie in Darcy Kemper who is going to give you something better than that with a team that's a lot more stacked. But it starts in goal because as they always say, I forget who it is that says this, but 
when you don't have a goal, when you have a goalie, it's 50% of your team. But when you don't have a goalie, it's 100% of your team. You can get by with a good goalie and so-so players. You cannot get by with all-stars and a bad goalie. Case in point, look at the Edmonton Oilers before their last month when Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen picked up their game. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and all those guys that they had couldn't drag a team with bad goaltending anywhere. And now the Avalanche have goaltending. I think you look back to the beginning of the season, right? And of course, there was the conversation of, oh, he's got to get used to the defensive group in front of him. He's got to get used to the structure that the Avalanche play in. And I think it's easy for a lot of us, me included, to say, yeah, but he's he's a goalie. Like, just get back there and stop pucks, right? But there is something to be said for this team that's playing in front of him. I think normally, yeah, he's a goalie. Go in there and stop pucks with because a lot of teams play very similar styles. This team plays so differently, has such a unique group of defensemen that I think it perhaps did take a little bit longer to acclimate behind these guys than we really gave him credit for because it's just a, a different style of hockey that we've ever seen in the NHL, let alone Darcy Kemper has ever seen in his career as a goaltender. Yeah, I mean, the Avalanche play a very, very north-south style of game. We know that Jared Bednar's system is when you get the puck in the defensive zone, you do everything in your power to as quickly as power uh, as possible transition the puck to the other end. And that's why you have all these great transition players like Kale McCart, like Sam Gerrard, like Bowen Byram, Nathan McKinnon on the power play, even Andre Burakovsky. Like all of these guys get the puck out of their zone into the other zone ASAP. That's what the Avalanche do. Now, the funny thing is, what you mentioned, it is a very unique group of defensemen because, you know, more often than not, you have an offensive guy like Kale McCarr who, you know, I'm not going to call Kale McCarr a one-dimensional offensive guy. He's not Tyson Berry winning the points title for a defenseman like he did last year. He's not Matt, uh, Mike Green with Washington scoring 30 goals and 80 points but not being that good defensively. He's more of a Duncan Keith. He's more of an Eric Carlson in his prime. He's a great two-way defenseman. But the thing about Keith and the thing about Carlson is they were always paired with a more stay-at-home defenseman, with that Mark Mathot, with that Nick Chalmerson, with that Brent Seabrook, the guy that stays back. Well, the guy Kale plays with is Devon Taves, and he's in the offensive zone more, if not as much as Kale, or as much, if not more than Kale McCart. So now you're Darcy Kemper. You got both of these guys that just love to move the puck. On your second pair to start the year, Sam Gerrard was playing with Bowen Byram. They're just a more mobile, skating, 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 smaller defenseman, and then, you know, on the third pair, you have your more traditional guys. You've had Eric Johnson. You've had Ryan Murray. You've had Jack Johnson, Curtis McDermott. If, you know, he's legally defined as a defenseman at this point, he kind of plays everything except for goalie. But it is it is the kind of thing, and we've heard it, you know, time and time again. What did Eric Johnson say back in October? He said, you know, it's the communication between a goalie and his defense is something that takes time. And uh, the goalie's got to get used to communicating with his defense. He's got to get used to the way his defense plays. And we've kind of seen it before our very eyes. When Darcy Kemper started the season, not only was he letting in a lot of goals, but as you and I have mentioned many, many times, he was letting in bad goals. And he was letting in goals where, like, goalies shouldn't be playing the way he was playing. He was ending up on his ass. He was going right to left and left to right, kind of scrambling out of position, doesn't know where his crease is, doesn't know where his net is, where his posts are. Look at you. You're nodding at me. I'm, I've become, I'm proud of you. I've become this a goalie good, guru now. Good analysis. Yeah, it's when you show up to games and sit there and talk in my ears about goalies, I'm sometimes listening. So it's just great to see that he's kind of 
not only playing better, not only putting up better numbers, but he's doing it by also looking more comfortable. And that's the most important thing. It's not just about the numbers. It's about how he's doing it, knowing that he's not just kind of getting lucky. You're not watching him and being like, all right, I mean, let's face it. There was a couple of those saves in overtime yesterday where you're like, yeah, there's a little bit of luck involved there. But like you're watching him going, no, he meant to do that. And if he's going to keep meaning to do that, it just means he's going to be ready to rock in the playoffs. Yeah, as long as he's in position, I don't think any save is unintentional, right? Um, but yeah, I think to prove your point is exactly what you said earlier in the podcast, the shutout stat, right? I mean, they had, didn't. it took them so long to even yeah. get a shutout, and then a wave of shutouts came from both the goaltenders. So if that doesn't tell you a little bit about acclimating to the team in front of you, I, I don't know what will. So again, I just want to give a little bit more credit to that whole, I guess, theory, right? The give him some time to acclimate to the team in front of him because now we're seeing a Darcy Kemper that we were promised at during the offseason. This is the one we all waited mm -hmm. for, and we had to wait. But here he is just in time for the playoffs, and if he's playing at this caliber uh, goaltender, I mean, I, I can't wait to see where this team goes this year. Yeah, I mean, let's let's put it this way. If this was Darcy Kemper's second season with the Avalanche, if he was the guy between the pipes last year, he would have been locked in from the start. Had he been locked in from the start, he'd probably be been have had this kind of a season all year. And when you when you kind of think of it that way, back when the Olympic conversation was happening, Kemper was still inconsistent. Marc-Andre Fleury was starting to pick up his game in Chicago. Carey Price was obviously not playing. Jordan Binnington was doing whatever the hell he was doing in St. Louis. Like, if you get this Darcy Kemper to be this guy, that would have been Team Canada's goalie. And, you know, four years from now, the Olympics are going to be a very long time away. It looks like there's going to be a World Cup in a couple years from now, which, you know, if Darcy Kemper is still with the Avalanche, who the hell says he can't be that guy? He's just been that good. He's one of the best in the NHL. He's no longer just guy. You know, we always talk about the Avalanche. They don't need a Vasilevsky. They don't need a Carey Price. They just need an Antti Niemi or a Corey Crawford or a Chris Osgood or one of these other guys that can just put up a couple of good saves. Darcy Kemper is playing his way into the conversation as he did for so many years with the Arizona Coyotes. Let's not forget the reputation this guy had before coming here, how we always talked about how Darcy was one of the best goalies in the NHL stuck on a bad team that if they made the playoffs, they were an eighth seed and didn't give him much support. If he continues this, he's working his way into the conversation as a 31 year old, which isn't old for a goalie as being one of the NHL's best and probably will get handsomely paid to kind of show that. But what he's given the Avalanche right now is not just Varley, Grubauer, you know, Corey Crawford's won a cup, Antti Niemi's won a cup, Matt Murray's won a couple of them. He's given the Avalanche a stable force in net that can match up with any goalie in the NHL. You know, I love to pull up these stats on the fly, but here we go. See if you can follow me on this one. In Darcy Kemper's first eight games of this season, he went four and four. In those losses, he let up five goals, six goals, three goals, and four goals. So we saw over three goals three, three times. Three, four, there, five, right? and six. Yep. So in his last eight games, he is six, one, and one. In those losses, he gave up three goals and three goals. So keeping those goals against down, even in losses, I think is a great sign, right? And mm -hmm. it just those numbers in general are a, a vast improvement from your first eight to your last eight. So yeah, he's definitely... Definitely delivered on, uh, I guess, what we were told we would get here during the offseason. 
So you said he started the season four and four. Is that what I heard you say? Yep. So since then he is thirty five and three. Okay. Cool. Sounds good. <laughs> I mean, That's yeah, it's it's awesome. Not bad. Yeah, pretty damn good. I mean, Philip Grubauer last year was thirty nine and one, so he's pretty much right on par with that, winning thirty out of forty games, thirty five and three, thirty out of thirty eight games, I should say. But it's just crazy when you take that, you take into account his save percentage, you take into account where his save percentage started, and kind of crawling out of that hole. It's six shutouts since January twenty something. Like it's it's incredible. Right on. Well, it wasn't quite 55 minutes of Darcy Kemper, but I feel like 16 is good enough, and he'll be he'll be okay with our 16-minute our ode to Darcy Kemper. Let's move on. There were more games. There were more players out on the ice for the Colorado Avalanche. So let's look at that Edmonton game, since we've been kind of already talking about it with Darcy Kemper's performance. Really a, a fun game to watch, as they all have been, right? As some of these games are starting to have more meaning down the stretch for Pittsburgh, for Edmonton, they're just they're turning into these lower scoring high intensity good battles that we're watching i mean maybe not as entertaining if you're of the mindset that you want to see more goals but if you want to see some fantastic goaltending and some good defensive play and some good back and forth these are the games for you so let's get into that edmonton game a little bit what did you like about that game um not even from an avalanche standpoint just from a hockey standpoint it was fun. It was entertaining. It was back and forth action. It was remember the Pittsburgh game at Ball Arena seems like forever ago it was the last home game they had. Um, it reminded me of that game. It was a lot of back and forth action. It was physical, but there was high flying players on both sides. Obviously, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, Miko Ranton and, and Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon. A uh, lot of action, a lot of chances. Uh, I remember late in regulation, the Avalanche got that power play and Miko Koskinen shut him down. He made some phenomenal saves. And I even tweeted out, Miko Koskinen has been fire. And I used two of those fire emojis. And I'm like, this guy's incredible. And then you get to overtime and then the Oilers get a power play and you saw what Darcy Kemper did. So, you know, understandably so, he one-upped Koskinen. So I one-upped it with the emojis. I gave him three fire emojis for that. But... In that game, it was kind of this like undercover battle of Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid. McKinnon was coming in hot. He had two goals against Pittsburgh and two assists against Pittsburgh the first time they played. And Connor McDavid was coming in on a crazy point streak where he's been scoring almost two points per game. Well, Nathan McKinnon ended a night with a goal and the shootout deciding goal. Connor McDavid ended up with nothing. But do you remember the play in overtime that led to the avalanche penalty? Yeah. Okay. So McDavid and McKinnon, they kind of skate through center ice. They skate into the offensive zone. They both kind of start to like, you know, kind of hack and whack at each other. Both of them look like they were upset about a missed call. And then McDavid looked to kind of, how do I say this nicely? He looked like he kind of got into the zone of like, I'm going to make Nathan McKinnon my bitch. And he drew a penalty on McKinnon and laughed about it. And McKinnon goes to the box and then Darcy Kemper does his thing. In that five minute overtime, Darcy Kemper faced 11 shots. And I literally remember looking at that penalty and thinking McKinnon already scored a goal goal today. You know, obviously the Oilers got the first one in the third period. It was 0-0 till then. And then McKinnon ties it up at 1-1. McDavid has still been held off the score sheet. And then he does this thing in overtime where three on three, all this open ice, two of the best players ever, if not the best players ever, well, today, I should say, not ever, going toe-to-toe, and McDavid kind of fiddles with McKinnon and draws a penalty, thinking that's going to be it. But then Darcy Kemper steals the show, 
and then you get to the shootout, McDavid gets stopped, McKinnon scores. It was this back and forth battle between them all night. And dare I say, Nathan McKinnon got the upper hand on Connor McDavid in more ways than one, despite that penalty. And the avalanche, with the help of Darcy Kemper, a lot of help of Darcy Kemper, ended Connor McDavid's point streak. And Nathan McKinnon made him look silly. It yeah, was I mean, just fun. It, it was fun to watch those guys go back and forth. You got to look at what was on the line, right? Both teams on a point or on a on a winning streak right now. Yep. Edmonton had won six in a row. Colorado had won five. So who's going to break, right? And that's what I think you really got to credit the Avalanche for their wins lately. Because while it kind of feels, especially from our end, like let's just get to the playoffs. Maybe this team's coasting into the playoffs a little bit. You look at the wins they've had in the last three weeks. You've got a Minnesota. You've got a Calgary, two Pittsburghs, and, and an Edmonton. I mean, those are teams that are fighting down the stretch here. Those are good teams that we're going to see play playoff hockey, and the Avalanche have overcame every single one of them recently. Yeah, they have. And uh, what I love about the way that they've played in these games is Nathan McKinnon has pretty much been a factor in almost all of them. I forgot that they lost in Minnesota. That was the uh, 3-2 overtime loss to Minnesota. Yeah, that that was where Eric Johnson destroyed Tyson Jost for some reason. So my bad on that one. But (laughs) hey, they got it to overtime. Yeah, I know. I, I, I know what you meant. But like, I actually didn't even catch that you said that. I thought you said that, you know, points. But what's funny about this is like, or what's what's my like my favorite part about the fact that the Avalanche have been on this tear is Nathan McKinnon has played a part in this a lot, pretty much every single night. Now, if you look back to the beginning of the season, not even the beginning of the season, you look back to about five, six weeks ago, and I'm not saying that this changes who is the MVP of the team, but we kept talking about how like, Kel McCarr is the MVP of this team and Nathan McKinnon is just in and out of the lineup, doesn't know what the hell he's doing and, you know, frustrated and losing his cool and getting injured. And then whatever the hell happened with Taylor Hall there where we all thought it was a big thing and then turned out it just was an unlucky play, but like just not that consistent force. And then he sits out the game in Detroit and then he comes back from that game. And in his last 20 games, he's got 14 goals and 15 assists. Pretty damn good for Nathan McKinnon there. So for the Avalanche, you need McKinnon to be this guy. You need him to show up in every single game. And look at the guys that they've played against. I know McKinnon has missed a game since, but look at the teams they've played against. They played against Calgary and their top line. They played against Minnesota and Kaprizov. I know they lost that one. They played against Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. They played against Leon Dreisaitl, and they played against Connor McDavid. And most importantly, during this stretch of games, there's been no Gabriel Landeskog, and no Nazem Kadri for a bunch of them. Valerie Nichushkin missed a couple games sick. A lot of things going on, but Nathan McKinnon was there. 14 goals in his last 20 games, and the Avalanche have just been rolling. Ever since, I think I, I mentioned this yesterday when Sam Gerrard made his return. So now it no longer includes Gerrard. It's just Landeskog. You know what the Avalanche's record is since that Gabe Landeskog injury 29 days ago when it was announced? They're 11-1-1. One in 13 games without Gabe Landeskog, and before Sam Gerrard's return against Edmonton, 10-1-1 in 12 games without Gerrard and Landeskog since that Carolina shutout game where Landeskog came out and, you know, tore the referees to shreds. I like the credit due to Nathan McKinnon here because if you remember at the turn of the new year, right, he was still stuck at three freaking goals. He was still burying points, right? He's getting assists like crazy, but he was stuck at three goals, we knew he'd eventually break out of it, and here we are. Mm-hmm. He's on the verge of getting 30. So 
with a couple of games left. Do you think he does get to 30? He only has a few more. Oh, 100%. Easy. He's at, he's at what, 26 now or 25? 26. Yeah, he's going to get there. The Avalanche have. I've been talking to Peter Baugh about this for the last uh, last couple games. Him and I have been texting throughout the game and talking about Kale McCarr and like, man, I hope Kale McCarr gets there. And then he scored that overtime winner, his 25th of the year, I believe. And I'm like, man, he's got, he needs five more goals and the Avalanche have now 10 more games. And I'm like, that seems like it might be a little bit of a stretch for a defenseman. Granted, Kel McCarr, you know, loves to rattle off two straight games with two goals and suddenly will chip away at that. But Nathan McKinnon, at the same time, we're like, well, what about McKinnon? And I was like, hmm, I wonder if McKinnon gets there. And Peter's like, yeah, no, he's going to get there. There's no way he doesn't. And I agree. 14 goals in his last 20 games. What's another five and 10? Yeah, exactly. The thing is, he'll do it with 15 assists. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. He's what is he at now? I mean, the fact that he's only got 15 assists in his last 20 games at, kind of brings brings him away from that assist per game streak that he was on. So as we said, 26 goals, 51 assists for a total of 77 points right now in 56 games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what's crazy? I went ahead and I ran the numbers ever since the day Nathan McKinnon came back from injury and I'm talking against the not not the most recent injury um where he missed the game and we all thought it was going to be a lot longer. I'm talking about the game against Detroit that he sat out. He's, you know, in 20 games, 14 goals and 15 assists. The NHL has been so unbelievably crazy with point scoring that that is tied for 10th place with Matt Duchesne and Jonathan Huberto. <laughs> Not bad. 29 points in 20 games. And that's 10th in the NHL. Sitting at the top of the leaderboard is, you know, Mitch Marner with a casual 42 points in 21 games. So he's got two points per game over the last 21 games. And sitting in fourth place is Austin Matthews with 22 goals in his last 19 games. What a guy. The NHL is just so fun this year. I love seeing all these points and records being broken. Absolutely. And just the wave of new goal scorers we're seeing, right? I mean, Nathan Mm -hmm. McKinnon is a prolific goal scorer himself. And like you mentioned, he's not even in in the top nine. Uh, for the for the last for however less. many games, right? Yeah, in terms of in terms of points per game, he's up there for the season. He's he's one of the top. What but, about you goals? Know, goals, yeah, goals. He he, you know, that early season slump that he had. If if he can score at a forty five goal pace like he has been recently, or fifty goal pace as he has been recently all year, then yeah, he's going to be up there. But you know, he's certainly no Austin Matthews, who's got fifty eight goals in sixty seven games. And on Saturday night against the Montreal Canadiens on Hockey Night in Canada, he went into that game with 49 and 49, and he scored his 50th goal in 50 games, and then 20 seconds later decided, I'm going to add another one, and scored 51 goals in his last 50 games. Nobody's done that since 1996. Like it's, There's so many things that are happening around the NHL with offense right now that is just so fun, and it's making this long drag of a season, which, by the way, only feels like a drag because we're not used to it. It's been three years. It's making this long drag of a season more exciting because you're seeing all these players breaking all these, you know, stats and records and look no further than Jonathan Huberto. He already broke the record for most assists by a left winger ever. And he's got, get this, 77 assists in 72 games. Like just crazy numbers we're seeing this year. I just talked about Mitch Marner casually putting up two points per game over his last 23 like, there's just so many great numbers. Roman Yossi might hit 100 points. Like, what the hell's going on in the NHL this year? I love it. I don't know, but the bar's been raised. I think 60's the mm-hmm. new bar for goals, and apparently in the 70s is where you want to land assist-wise nowadays. Imagine a 130-point producer. Yeah, right? And, uh, I mean, shit, we might have a 130-point producer this year. 
who's leading the NHL. Connor McDavid, he's got 108. Eh, it's, it's a little low, but the Oilers have, what, 10 games? What's 22 points in 10 games for, you know, Sir Connor McDavid? <laughs> you know what's funny? McDavid last year had 105 points in 56 games. Remember that craziness? Yeah. Well, this year he's played 16 more games than that, and he's only got three points more. So, like, huge step back when you think about it that way. But then when you look at it, 108 points in 72 games, and that is a massive step in the wrong direction compared to what he was doing last year, which it boggles my mind. Like, it's just crazy how good this guy is. The dude thrives in empty buildings. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it looks like. All right, guys, let's take a quick break to talk about our friends at Total Beverage. Everybody knows Total Beverage by now, both in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Arif, in the last week, we've seen the return of two defensemen, both, I think, sorely missed in the lineup, not exactly from a production standpoint, just from, hey, we love to have these guys. And that's Sam Gerrard making his return last night and then Bowen Byron making his return last week. So what have you seen from these two guys? What are you liking aside from just simply their presence? That's what I was going to start with, their, their presence. It's so great to see these two guys back in the lineup. I know I've said it before and I'll say it again. Sam Gerrard hasn't had the best season this year, even for his standard, but it, the Avalanche are better with him in the lineup than they are without. And Bowen Byram, what can we say? You and I haven't recorded in six days. And the last time we talked, it was all about Bowen Byram and the fact that he was getting close to returning. And he finally did. And his return and his games played has flown under the radar. And I love that. Nothing is happening that is bad, I should say. He's kind of keeping it, keeping it together. He's playing well defensively. He's not pitching in offensively yet, but it'll come. You know, he's an offensive defenseman. He's going to put up the points. But... It's, it's just, number one, it's crazy that he's still 20 years old and we're talking about him like a savior. But it's just great to see these guys back and what it does with the Avalanche's depth is my favorite part, is just seeing how many weapons they have on defense now because of their returns. What I like about Bowen Byram back in the lineup is he brought his attitude back, right? And that's something yeah. I loved with it from him from the start. I mean, we see Kale McCarr and he's such a sweet, young rosy cheeked guy and then you see Bowen Byram and you think you're going to get the same thing oh he's a young guy he's baby faced <laughs> and then he he comes into the game I forget which one it was the other day but he's yelling at the ref to get out of the way and he's, he's kind of a dick I love it yeah exactly I love that about him and he brought that back you know and that's just part of his game so what I've seen from him is bringing his game and not yeah having any fear or you know for the repercussions or what might come with the, with the style of game that he plays yeah, let me kind of say that a little differently so people don't think I'm bashing Bowen Byram. Like, what I mean by he's kind of a dick is, like, he's feisty as hell. Yeah, and, no, that's a and, good thing to be a dick. Yeah, like, I love it. Like, it reminds me of Gabe Landeskog. Gabe Landeskog is feisty as all hell. And it's just crazy that, like, the Avalanche took Bowen Byram and Sam Gerrard, and they said, we're going to throw you guys on the third pair. And it's kind of hilarious. Like, Jack Johnson's playing in the top four with Manson, McCarr, and Taves. But we're going to throw you guys on the third pair. And, oh, by the way, like... We had to sit a couple of pretty good defensemen for you guys to even play. 
because we just are loaded with all this depth. But like for Bowen Byram's game, like it's funny. I was just talking about it earlier. You had Byram and Gerard playing together. Remember when before Kel McCarr made his debut, there were so many games back in that 17-18 season and then even the regular season of 18-19 where whenever the Avalanche had like any kind of an offensive zone draw or they want to pull their goalie or whatever, they would play this young raw talent of Sam Gerrard with Tyson Berry on the blue line. And you're just like, oh my God, this is going to be all offense. And if it blows up in their face defensively and the Avalanche give up the puck, they are fucked because Tyson Berry and Sam Gerrard aren't going to be able to cut it. Well, Sam Gerrard has since kind of developed into a better defensive player, but that's kind of the vibe that I got in the beginning of the year when Byram and Gerrard were playing together until I realized that number one, not only is Byram way better defensively than Barry, he's a lot feistier. And it's as if Gerard is playing with like, I don't know, Eric Johnson or Josh Manson. Like he's just this feisty guy that's going to get into the dirty areas. That's going to get his nose dirty and do all the things that you need to set up a more offensive minded guy like Sam Gerard, except Bo is also very offensive minded too. So it's, you know, it's just weird dynamic between the two of them, but it works. And that's what I love about that pair. Yeah, along with the uh, he's a dick mindset, right? And um, I just have a little fun anecdote. You remember Chris Wagner? Yes. I think he the Avalanche acquired him off waivers, right? And when he first he was got... so it, fun. Yeah, he was fun because he, he had that same mindset, right? He had that same mentality. And when he first got to the Avalanche, I remember being at a morning skate and somebody from the opposing team came to the VOM and started watching the Avalanche morning skate as well. And they must have known him from the AHL, right? Because they look at him and go, oh, there's Chris Wagner. That guy's a prick. And so <laughs> immediately I walk into the to the locker room and I go to Chris Wagner. I'm like, hey, one of the guys over there was was t- saying that you're a prick. Is that something you take pride in in your game? And he's like, absolutely. I mean, that's just the style of game I like to play. And Boehm Byram has that same style and he loves it. He flaunts it and he doesn't give a foop. Yeah. Let me tell you this, and uh, I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but it's just interesting to see the differences in how like the game is covered. If that happened at a morning skate today, would you ever ask a question in a press conference with everybody there? Like, No, right. That's yeah. what, That was, was great. I got to have yeah. the privacy and I got to go right to him. Yeah. Nobody else was listening. And I got to say, hey, they called yeah. you a prick. What do you think about that? Yeah. Because like, could you imagine that? Like you have that kind of an encounter with another media member that you show up and you're like, hey, Bowen, so the guy outside just said you're a prick. What do you think of that? Do you take like everybody look at you like you're weird, me included. I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? But you just told me that story and it was natural. And man, I can't wait till we can go back to that stuff because that is what makes covering the sport fun is telling those stories where you get these guys not in a pressured situation, not in an uncomfortable situation where they're sitting up there on a table. However, yes, Bowen Byram, just to kind of, that was a little bit of a sidetrack, but I just, I love that story. I was great. Bo- no, you're 100% right. I My best stories from my eight seasons of covering this team are when I go into the locker room and I just observe. Mm-hmm. I just try, try to see the dynamic between players, listen to some of the conversations they're having among each other, maybe notice some small details in equipment and, you know, maybe injuries if I can spot anything. And that's just something that's been taken away from us and it stinks so much, but um, you know, we've been finding other ways to have back. fun doing this yeah. stuff. I think I think it's I think it's going to come back soon. It looks like the 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 MLB and the NFL are pretty much washing away any kind of regulations at this point. They're going all in on you know normal coverage again. So, fingers crossed, the NHL follows suit because that would be great. I mean, I 
did this pre-COVID for six months and some of the greatest <laughs> yeah. stories and experience. Yeah, it's crazy. That's all I had. I had six months of locker room access before this fucking shit Insane. Storm. Yeah, but um, one of my favorite ones, like when I did that story about Nazem Kadri, the, the one that's pinned at the top of my Twitter way, way back in November 2019, I published it in December. Uh, I finished interviewing Kadri. I talked to him for 20 minutes while he was taking off his equipment and everything after that morning skate and, you know, talked about all this stuff. And then I get up and one stall over is Pierre-Edouard Belmar and with his French, you know, not French Canadian, like legit French accent, looks at me and goes, that was excellent. I go, what's that? He goes, your conversation with him. I go, yeah. He goes, yeah. I was like, do you mind if I get a little words with you? And I took out my tape recorder and I was like, straight up, I was like, you know, you're from France, but you're also black, which is obviously why he was part of the Hockey Diversity Alliance. But like, you're black, he's Arab. Like, how cool is it to kind of see this diversity? Like the fact that the NHL has gotten to this point and he just, he gave me golden quotes that are in that story. Um, I haven't read it in like three years, so I don't remember them. But like, just the way that like, I finished it and I looked up and Pierre Edward Belmar just smirks and goes, that was excellent. And like, he was listening in on this conversation me and Kadri talking about like, fucking Arabic food and weddings and stuff. Like it was, it was so badass. Um, yeah, that's, I said Arabic food, Arab food, I should say. Hey, look at you correcting yourself on your own nonsense. Um, but yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I always wished I could speak French or even Russian, right? There was a time where there's so mm-hmm. many Russians on the avalanche team is like, man, if you just spoke Russian, you could get so much out of these guys. And I, I never got there, but yeah, you know, Russians, the only guy in the truth, yeah, the the only guy Natushka used to talk to in that locker room was Vladislav Kamenev when he was around, because <laughs> you know very uncomfortable with the English as we know till now, and some people like to bully him for that, but whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean Zadorov was there, Varley was there. They had a lot of Russians. Miranov briefly. Mir- Mir- yeah, Mir- Mir- Miranov no, or whatever Miranov. the hell his name was pronounced. Miranov. Miranov. Yep. Boris Miranov. I, I, the bed I've told this story on this. <laughs> I've uh, told this story before, but the reason it was Miranov and not Miranov is they call him Mito. That was his nickname, Mito, right? So it's not. Oh, not. It's not Mito. Wait, Mito. I I just said Mito. I just said Boris Miranov. It's it's Andre, Andre Miranov. Yeah. Boris is Boris is the way the fuck back when NHL defenseman. Exactly. Exactly. Guy. Um, let's get a little bit back on the tracks here, Arif, and let's talk about who's next. And then after that, I want to get into the Western Conference playoffs. So up. This week, we got a couple home games, three to be exact, including back-to-backs. You got L.A. on Wednesday, New Jersey on Thursday, and then the mighty Carolina Hurricanes on Saturday. Should be a fun one. How crazy is that? Today is Sunday. The Avalanche played yesterday, and they don't play for another three days. Yeah, I mean, the schedule makers have been generous to them these last two weeks, I would Mm -hmm. say. Yeah, Pittsburgh, three days off. Pittsburgh again, three days off. Go to Canada for a couple games. Come home, four days off. Like, just crazy... Crazy stretches of no games, and the Avalanche can actually practice. You know, they can go into their dressing room tomorrow at Family Sports and, you know, introduce Artery Lekkinen and all the new guys to, like, Nazem Kadri and Landis Cog and all the injured guys. And, like, hey, you guys know you're all on the same team now, right? Like, it's <laughs> it's crazy. Landis Cog got hurt before freaking even the Josh Manson and Nico Sturm acquisitions. Last time Landis Cog played a game, Tyson Jokes was on the team. A lot has changed. A lot has changed. But, uh, yeah, I mean... 
I mean, the season is kind of dragging right now for the Avalanche. They're playing the LA Kings. The LA Kings are fighting for a shit ton of a lot more than the Avalanche right now. We'll talk about that playoff race. Which st- then, sucks if you're the LA Kings. That's a, the last team mm-hmm. you probably want to see right now while you're fighting yeah. for your playoff lives. So the LA Kings went up 3-0 on the Minnesota Wild today, and then I think they lost 6-3. That was the score the last time I checked, which hurts their playoff chances immensely. Uh, they got to win their next game because they play Tuesday against the Chicago Blackhawks. And then after playing the Blackhawks on Tuesday, they go right to Denver. So if they lose to the Blackhawks Tuesday and then get on an airplane, knowing that they're about to play the Avalanche on a back-to-back after losing their fifth straight game in Chicago, like they're, they're so fucked, but uh, (laughs) they get the Kings on Wednesday. They get the devils on Thursday. And then next Saturday ball arena, Colorado, Carolina. How cool would it be for Gabe Landeskog to come back for that game? Yeah, I mean, with that'll be eight games to go. I think that's a good time to get back in, get reacclimated. Okay, but also the last game, the last game Cape Landeskog played was the two nothing shutout loss to Carolina, where he tore the ref to shreds. Oh, it's just it's an I added a little I bit see. of an added story. I'm trying to make the end of the season fun, JJ. It's kind of it's hard because here. we need some. You're lines. you're the you're the journalist. You look for journalistic stories. I'm the hockey guy. I'm thinking hockey only. So I'm like, oh yeah, like, how great. fun? We, we got to start getting the boys back in playoff shape. <laughs> How fun was that night when I casually jumped on Zoom and Gabe Landeskog comes out with this fucking crazy ass thing that he had on the refs and Nazem Kadri and all that. Like, that's a storyline. That's a podcast. Yeah, I mean. That's fun shit to talk about. We've talked about. about it all year, right? The chip on this team's shoulder. They're not uh, They're not making friends out here this year. They're here for one goal and one goal only. So, it, uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. It's very fitting for the year they've had this year. Wouldn't it be funny if, like, Nazem Kadri does something stupid and Gabe Landeskog comes out, you know, with the idea in mind that you just said, like, we have one goal and one goal in mind, and he just comes out to the media and it's like, yeah, my teammate's a fucking idiot. He went out and got suspended again. Like, it would be great. I'd love that just for the journalism stuff. You'd be sitting back like, what the hell just happened? And I'd be like, oh, my God, let's do a podcast for 45 minutes about this fight that's going to happen in the locker room. Then you would know <laughs> Nazem Kadri's definitely not coming back next year. We'll see you in Philly. Hey, I, I, I'm i going to – yeah, did you say mm-hmm. Philly? Yeah, I'm, I still go back to that game against Philly. Nazem Kadri had two goals and one assist as well as a fight late in the third period. His first Gordie Howe hat trick, and I remember – before the fight, when he had two goals, one assist, I think I told the story before. I looked at Peter Baugh and I said, Chuck Fletcher sitting right up there in that window right there. And he's got an $8 million contract written up for Nazem Kadri because of how good he's playing today and embarrassing the Flyers. And then after the fight, I looked at Peter Baugh and I said, he just upped it to $9 million because Philadelphia loves their fighters. And Nazem Kadri just made all this money in one game by showing Chuck Fletcher what he could do. Peter who? Peter Baugh. Oh, I've heard of him. I've heard of him. Yeah. Stay tuned. Heard of that um, guy. So, yeah, let's get to the bottom of the playoffs here. Let's, uh, you know, I think there's, a, like you've mentioned, L.A. fighting for their lives. Vegas, honestly, still has a fighting chance because of L.A.'s mm-hmm. struggles. Then you've got Nashville still fighting for positioning. Of course, it looks like Edmonton's kind of going to lock and run away with their current spot. But you got the Dallas Stars also fighting for that eighth spot as well. So your take, your thoughts, your predictions on the bottom of the West in these final 10 games. So the Vegas Golden Knights look like they're, it looks like they're going to make it. Like LA is kind of blowing it here. Um, Vegas has the tiebreakers on LA and on Dallas. Dallas still looks like they're in a good position. They're 
you know, two points up on Vegas and they have a game in hand. And I don't know if that includes today's win against the Chicago Blackhawks or not, but then you got Nashville, who's three points up on Vegas with a game in hand. And Nashville's Nashville. They've they've been fine. They're kind of cruising, even though they're five, four, and one their last ten. So like I think Nashville and Dallas are fine. The one that worries me is the LA Kings because they've lost three straight in regulation. They've got 86 points in 74 games. It's it's the one team that Vegas has games in hands on and games in hand on, I should say, one game in hand. So if Vegas wins their next game, which remind me again who they're playing. Let's double check that. Here I am killing all of this time to say that Vegas is playing Vancouver. So Vegas is playing Vancouver in their next game. If or when they win that, we'll see. Because Vancouver, which is a funny thing, like Vancouver is only four points back of Vegas and they both have played the same amount of games. So if Vancouver wins, they're only two points back of Vegas, four points back of LA. But if Vegas beats the Vancouver Canucks, they are third in the Pacific because they will have the tiebreaker on the LA Kings and LA drops to ninth place in the West. So I think it's getting to that point where if Vegas makes the playoffs, it's not to be the second wildcard team and play the Avalanche. It's to be the third in the Pacific Division and play the Edmonton Oilers and let the Calgary Flames play Nashville and let the Avalanche play the last wildcard team. Which brings me to that second wildcard spot. Dallas beat Chicago today, but they were losing some games before that. They were kind of in a little bit of a downward spiral. If the Vegas Golden Knights take over for L.A., and then LA manages to beat Dallas, then Dallas would miss the playoffs. The LA Kings would be the second wildcard team, and the Avalanche would beat 496 different kinds of shits out of the LA Kings in the first round. That would be fun to watch because that would be a deserving first-round opponent for a team that is running away with the Western Conference and the Avalanche. But there's a lot going on here. I think the Vegas Golden Knights genuinely have a chance here to be third in the Pacific. If you rewind back to our preseason podcast where we were doing our predictions, right? I predicted LA to be a good team because they they made a lot of offseason acquisitions. They had uh, the addition of Victor Arvidsson, right? They had some youth coming in, and they still had Anze Kopitar. And then they came out and they kind of laid a goose egg. They went one and six to start the year. But this team's an insanely streaky team. Not only did they go one and six, losing those six all in a row, so they won their home or their they won their season opener, then lost six in a row, went on to win seven in a row, and then they went on to lose another five in a row. So right. L.A., right. So right now on their current three-game losing streak, yeah, I think they can easily get out of it and get back into a winning this, streak, though, because they LA? do have the talent. I don't think yeah. the Avalanche can easily overlook a team like them. They've got some some good players there. I think the Avalanche will ultimately overcome a team like L.A., but again, there, there's some there's some talent that I don't think we can count them as choking this playoff position away just yet. No, of course not, but it's... Uh one of the biggest reasons why they had that, you know, bit of a rebound is the game of Drew Drew Doughty this year. Like he's got 31 points in 39 games. He's been excellent defensively. He's kind of had this redemption season after three years of kind of slowly dipping, you know, on a downward spiral. I should say four years. He kind of remembered like, hey, I'm the shit. And everybody, I think it was the uh, the Olympic conversation in the beginning of the year. Nobody was counting Drew Doughty as part of like that Olympic conversation. 
And he legitimately took that to heart. He's like, screw you. I'm going to work my way back into the conversation. And he did. And I promise you, if he was healthy and they went to the Olympics, Hockey Canada would have put that veteran on their team because they love Drew Doughty and he earned it. So he's a big part of that. The redemption story of one John Quick has been so fun this year. Um, they've also got Adrian Kempe's got over 30 goals. They obviously traded for Victor Arvidsson. They got some young guys. They got some fun players to watch. But um, I mean, let's let's call a spade a spade. Like Nashville, Dallas, Vegas, L.A. If you had to pick one for the, I think the Avalanche can beat all four. But if you had to pick one. You take LA Hands 10 down. times out of 10. Hands down. Yeah. I mean, Nashville beat the Avalanche twice. Dallas beat the Avalanche twice. LA did not. Yeah. And Vegas is, you know, Vegas. They're, mm-hmm. you don't even know what the hell you're going to get with them. You They're really like don't. a wild you card. No <laughs> you really don't know what the hell you're going to get with them. Robin Leonard returned from injury yesterday. And then, like, even if Vegas gets fully healthy, you're going to have all these guys walk into the locker room and be like, who the hell is that guy in number nine? Is that. Oh, that's Jack Eichel. Yeah, we've never played with you before. Let's figure this shit out. Game one of the playoffs against an Avalanche team that's buzzing and Darcy Kemper and Nett like fucking swagged out with a chain around his neck just ready to <laughs> kick your ass. Like, how, do, how are you going to use that time of the year to get your team acclimated to their new acquisition in Jack Jack Eichel? It's, it's really interesting to see that Vegas is like pretty much, you don't know what the hell you're going to get with them. Yeah, well, I guess down the uh, next three weeks, that's what we're going to keep an eye on is those bottom teams that ultimately fill out the wild card spots. Yeah, of course. And uh, it's going to be fun because my my biggest want and need from the Stanley Cup playoffs this year is the Battle of Alberta happening at some point. So it's not going to happen in the first round because it looks like Calgary and Edmonton are going to lock up first and second seeds in the Pacific. So if Edmonton plays Vegas and Calgary plays Nashville, please, for the love of God, beat Vegas and beat Nashville and let's get Edmonton versus Calgary. It would be so much fun and I would watch every game. Absolutely. That'll be must-see TV for NHL fans everywhere. So that'll do it. That's all we got on the docket for today, Arif. I know we've got one fun little, I guess, announcement to make. Maybe more of a tease, we'll call it. We do. Um, you know, I'm sure you guys have noticed that we've been podcasting once every five or six days now, but that's going to change and perhaps even more than what you guys are used to with the two days per week and perhaps a little more voices than what you guys are used to from Arif and JJ blabbing about Darcy Kemper for what was supposed to be 55 minutes. So fun changes coming to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast leading up to the playoffs. I am so pumped. I hope you guys are too. Well said. I'll leave it there. So, yeah, let's enjoy these next four home games here. And uh, let's just wrap this season up because I'm getting real bored of it. And I'm ready for playoff <laughs> hockey because We're all the, ready, baby. the playoffs are lining up to be so good and yes. such a good product. So many awesome matchups. So thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. We really appreciate every single listener we have. So, you know, feel free to engage with us. We're here for you on Twitter, on Reddit, on Instagram even. We're working on it, but it's if a work in progress. If you're listening... It is. And if you're listening on Monday, which most of you probably are, three weeks exactly till the playoffs start. Oh, can't wait. Can't wait. So, cannot wait. That being said, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we out you.